with me in honor of the word of God as I read Mark 14, 41 through 52. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. We're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Mark. And today we are in chapter 14 in the Garden of Gethsemane and looking at the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. And looking at the Garden of Gethsemane, I want to, through this text, go back and look at prayer and how important prayer is in being prepared for this situation that was happening in the garden and interweave in a way of two gardens, not only this garden, what's happening in this garden, but looking uh, back a little bit at another garden. So um, I kind of titled this Two Gardens, and so we'll look at that. Power in weakness. Power in prayer. Mark 14, 41 through 42, we see that he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Prepared by prayer. Um, looking back at the text earlier in verse 32 of Mark's gospel in this chapter of 14, it gives the scene that they're in. They're still in the garden. It says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. 
So the scene is in this garden of Gethsemane. The scene is prayer. In verse 34, he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. So he's letting them know the, the gravity of the situation. Can you imagine hearing Jesus, your Lord, say, My soul is sorrowful even unto death? And then he pleads with them, Remain here and watch. He's telling them first, sit here, I'm going to go pray. Now he's emphasizing, just watch. And this word means, keep awake. Watch with me. And he comes back, could you not watch one hour? And then in verse 36, he says, watch and pray. I mean, this is what it's about in this garden. Watch, be alert, be on guard, watch with me and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Something's going to happen. I've told you my soul is sorrowful even unto death. Something of great gravity is about to happen. Watch with me. Sit with me while I pray. Watch with me. Watch. Stay alert. Be ready. Be on your guard. Watch and pray so that you enter not into temptation. Something's happening in this garden. It's profound that the, the hour's really near. Jesus, all, all of it is, is to them, but each time he comes and I, I began thinking of, you know, I like to think of the opposite of things, and I was just thinking of what Jesus was asking them to do, which was watch. You know, they were doing the very opposite. It was like, what's the opposite of prayer? Like in this sense, what, what he's asking them to do, what's the opposite of that? That's what they were doing. They were the opposite of prayer, of watching staying awake alert they were sleeping they were doing the opposite of what he asked wake up pray church so there's these examples we have of of prayer in philippians do not be anxious about anything Uh, don't worry about anything we're worriers anxious why the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi is saying, don't be anxious or worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. You'll see prayer going with supplication a lot. Supplicate, in its root word, means to bend or fold. Bend means it's fold, it's to supplicate, it's, it involves Humility, prayer goes with humility, humbling, recognizing need. The Philippian verse says, in supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Yes, prayer is is asking. We have not because we ask not. It is requesting. And Jesus is asking them, though here in the garden, just to recognize your need. You're about to enter into temptation. Recognize your need. They have no uh, supplicating factor that seems to be that, that they're aware of. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus tells this parable. And he tells this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and 
treated others with contempt. And he says this, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus. One time a person asked me, can you, are, are all prayers good? You know, can you, you know, are all prayers the same? And I said, no. He said, you, you know, and he's like, you can pray wrong. <laughs> this is a good example of that. One prayed this way, thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. There's one prayer. And then Jesus says, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the disciples in the garden were very confident. They were confident. They didn't sense a need for prayer. They didn't sense the weakness that is in the flesh, even though the Spirit is willing there's two gardens. There's the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's like two ways to pray, in pride or in humility, in self-reliance or in a God-reliance. You thank God in prayer in one way, and it can be in a bad way. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. Like, like other real sinners. I'm not like them. You can pray that way. Jesus tells us the prayer that works involves the humbling of oneself and asking for mercy. Asking for his mercy. Undeserved mercy. The disciples were in a stupor. They were unaware, unawake, sleeping examples to us examples like us the church needs to wake up be alert come out of your stupor realize the value of prayer they were doing the opposite they were sleeping a mentor of mine that uh, our church belongs to a, a fellowship of churches Krigma uh, Ventures and Dudley Hall's the president of it, and he sent out his message this month called Now What? And he had written a book called Incense and Thunder, and it was based in Revelations, the book of Revelation, uh, in chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. And it reads, And another angel came and stood by the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints. That's you and I, believers. And on the golden altar before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose up before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. 
and they were, then there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. What's going on here with prayers? Our prayers, lifting up prayers, and going into heaven, and God taking them, and angel removing them from the altar. And man, John sees this, tells us this. This is what's happening. God takes it, orders it, angel to hurl it back to earth in power. Like he's taking something in prayer. And, and Dudley Hall explains it. He says, in dealing with spiritual powers, the primary way to do battle with those powers is through prayer. We are here on earth to implement the victory that Jesus has won at the cross. And the primary way to do that is we pray. There's nothing more dangerous to hell than an alert, well-dressed saint who knows that they can pray. That's pretty powerful. Most of us say, oh, all I can do is, you know, all I can do is pray for you. You know, I don't know if that's effective. When it's the most dangerous thing that you can do to the powers of hell and to the enemy. You're most threat when you're on your knees before God. And the disciples weren't there. They were sleeping. Confident. They were strong. Confident they were going to be ready for anything. Ephesians, after the, the great chapter 6 of all the armor concludes with praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication again supplication just goes with prayer the bowing the bending the soul humility goes with prayer with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance this is it it's the very opposite thing that the disciples are doing in this garden in this Gethsemane, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me, Paul's asking for prayer, and opening my mouth fully to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel, and it's what we all need prayer for, to open up our mouths to reveal the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's what we need prayer for. Paul goes on to say, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Don't let me cower in fear just because I'm in chains now. You guys pray for me. The Apostle Paul is pleading. We can cower in fear without chains, and so did the disciples. We can sleep. The fight is not in human might, but in human weakness. This word, supplication, always goes with it, with prayer. It's fighting in our own weakness, acknowledging, ascertaining, discerning of ourselves how weak we are. That's what prayer does. It discerns the right reality of the situation that we are weak in ourselves. The flesh is weak. The spirit's willing, yeah, but that will isn't even from me. It's just weakness, the flesh in me. I need the will of the spirit. I need help. I need prayer. I need God in me power of the forgiveness of Jesus that the Holy Spirit may indwell 
in me and pray and intercede through me that my feeble prayers that I lift up to heaven, God will take and mix with his power and incense and hurl back to earth in answers that actually are effective. This fight is a fight not of human swords. That's all Peter knew. When he gets weak, when he gets caught without prayer, he reaches for the hilt. He reaches for all he knows to try to do something. Because he's not prepared. He's not prepared for a spiritual battle. Yeah. He's, pray, he, he's prepared, he, he, you know, in his flesh to fight. And it's not the right way to fight. It's not the thing that will defeat spiritual powers of wickedness in heavenly places. It's ineffective. The battle is won in the spirit. It was already won by Jesus in the garden. Because he's doing something different in the garden than anyone's ever done in gardens. <laughs> in the power of prayer, Jesus is ready for what is coming. In Mark 14, we read Jesus telling them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And he, he leaves this hope, but after I'm raised, I will go before you to Galilee, talking about the resurrection. But I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. Man, not us. Strike the shepherd. I'm not going to scatter. What do they say? First Peter, we put it all on Peter, because Peter says, I, you know, I'm not going to deny you. If I must die with you, in verse 31 of chapter 14 of Mark, I will not deny you. And it's not just Peter, it says, in verse 31, and they all said the same. Mark 14, 31. They were all in it. We're not going to deny you. We're not going to be scattered. They strike you. We're not going to run and flee. Right? That's what they said. Emphatically. That means vehemently with force. We will not flee with you. We will not hear your word, Jesus, of warning. And we won't even be able to stay awake for an hour with you to watch in warning of what's coming. Even when he tells them, as I mentioned, my soul is sorrowful, even to remain here, watch, or stay awake. Sorrowful even unto death. Jesus tells them again, watch and pray, watch and pray with me that you may not enter into temptation. I want to tell you the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Temptation's coming. Be ready, be alert, watch with me. Pray came the third time. Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. He's prayed. He's ready. They're just startled up from their stupor, waking up. The disciples have already lost the battle. They've lost, right? You know, they've already lost. And all, uh, even conflicts, even competitions, even sports competitions, the battle's always won before the game begins. It's always, always won before. Every battle is won before. And in the spirit, it's always won before in prayer. 
supplication. The disciples had already lost in the spiritual realm. They were in a stupor. They were not prayed up. They were unprepared. They had already lost the battle in this garden, just like every other person had every, always lost in the battle of the garden, just like their father and our father, Adam, had lost the battle in the garden. They, too, were losing again in the garden. And our, our text concludes with even another young man that followed them, nothing with a linen cloth on, you know, camping out with him in the garden, waking up with just a linen cloth wrapped around him. What's going on here? They seize him, but he left the linen cloth. They, like, grabbed him. He just ran out of that cloth and ran away naked. That's how our text ends today. What's Mark concluding? There's several commentaries and scholars that believe that this was none other than the author of the book of Mark. He would have been a young man following him, Peter, writing this gospel. This is him. Um, Tim Keller says this same thing in the book we're reading in our men's Bible study, Jesus the King. He says, in the Bible, nakedness is a sign of shame and disgrace, and it is perfectly appropriate in this case. The man is an absolute coward. So shame-filled, running home naked suits the occasion. And he brings out that a lot of scholars say that this is the author, Mark himself, who would have been a young man at that time. And if Mark is saying here, and he is in this text, whether it's him or not, everyone has failed Jesus. Everyone in that garden failed Jesus. And you and I would have failed Jesus. He ran away and didn't just ran away, ran away in terror and in shame. Leaving a garden in shame, what could that stir in your mind? I mean, it's got to take you to the Garden of Eden. How did Adam and Eve leave the garden? Naked, full of shame trying to cover their nakedness and shame, leaving the garden, looking back, seeing the cherubim guarding the garden's entrance with a flaming sword that went all directions. You're never getting back in. You're out in disgrace, naked and full of shame. Now we're in this garden, this garden of Gethsemane and the same thing is happening all over again but wait a minute something else is happening in this garden there's someone in the middle of the garden and he's passing the test finally someone is in the middle of the garden and they're passing the test and here's what Tim Keller says why are all the people fleeing and failing their only reality in this world is the sword, betrayal, power, coming with swords and clubs, fighting with swords. Their only reality is that. But there is another reality. And Jesus is living in that reality. Through the power of prayer, he is submitted 
to the Father's will here. And Jesus is standing firm in the middle of this garden, and he's facing something even worse than those people's swords and clubs that they come with. He's facing the sword of eternal justice, the sword that's guarding the way back into the garden, and he's facing it and looking at it. That sword of divine justice that says no one can get back in without justice being done upon sinners. And Jesus in the garden is facing the ultimate sword of divine justice. And he stood firm. He stood firm where Adam and Eve didn't. He stood firm for me. He stood firm for you. And Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. They turned around and they saw that flaming sword of justice keeping them from ever going back in. Their sins separating them from God. There's no way back into the presence of God unless someone undergoes that sword of divine justice. And Jesus is standing in another garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's saying, I will undergo the ultimate sword of God's divine justice. And he stood firm. He was willing to bear the right and just wrath of God for us so that we could get back in, back into God's presence. And he had done it in prayer. He had already won the battle in prayer. He already knew what he was going to do. He already sweat great drops of blood. He already knew what was coming. He was one who didn't stand in the garden. He was one who fell in the garden and he bowed in the garden he fell they said he went a little further and just fell before them in prayer in Hebrews 5 7 it says in the days of his flesh Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. We think he was heard. He, he died. He was heard with his loud career, uh, cries and tears of him. Jesus was killed by those who arrested him. The rescue he obtained was not from death, but out of death, through death, out of death. The resurrection of Jesus was the ultimate sign of his acceptance and approval by God. So, when Jesus told them in Mark 14, 28, but after I'm raised, I will go before you to Galilee, he would. Jesus won the victory in the garden. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We thank you. You are our only hope. You are our only victory. You are the victor. And you wear the victor's crown. And we praise you today. Help us as we come to the table to remember you, to remember your death, to remember your resurrection, just to remember your life, to remember you sweating great drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane that you won for us and you stood firm in the Father's will you stood firm in the Father's plan 
Help us to remember your death until you return as we take communion and help us to give you the sacrifice of praise for you alone are worthy. Amen. We're going to take communion. If you're visiting with us, you're more than welcome at this table. We'll come up and take one of these cups and it has a piece of bread below it and we'll take it back to our seats and we'll say a prayer together and partake at the Lord's table this is the feast of the Lord remembering Jesus his death and all that his body and blood accomplished for us so please come the night that Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and he gave thanks for it and he said this is my body take and eat let us partake together of the bread Son, thank you, Jesus, that you inaugurated us to when we gather together to come to your table where you offered up bread and said, Take and eat, this is my body given for you. Thank you that you gave your all for us, and you gave your body, you offered it up because the Father. desired you to do so and you fulfilled his will the perfect lamb of God the body of Christ offered up for us sinners thank you so much Jesus that you stood firm in the garden in like manner he took the cup he said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood 
given for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me. Remember my death until I come. Let us partake of the cup together. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you sent him. Thank you that you were willing to give up all the treasure of heaven for us sinners. Silver and gold couldn't redeem us, only the blood of your Son, Father, and you, in your great love for us, gave us your Son. You sent him knowing the cost and the price. And we thank you, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who followed in the Father's plan perfectly, obeying all the laws and statutes and precepts and commands perfectly, pleasing the Father, the perfect spotless Lamb of God. And you obeyed the Father about the tree in the garden. Adam disobeyed you about the tree. We see Jesus' struggle to let the cup pass from him. He submitted to your will. Obey me about the tree. And you went to the cross, Jesus. And you shed your blood upon that tree and you became a curse for us. And you bore divine wrath of God, the just and right, righteous, the wrath of God on the cross for us that we might enjoy the forgiveness and blessing. We thank you. We praise you, Jesus. Help us to praise you. Enjoyed the worship, Lord, today. Enjoyed worshiping your son, Jesus. Help us to exalt you and worship you in spirit and in truth as we close. Help us to offer up the sacrifice of praise, Lord. It's in Christ alone, and it's in Christ alone that our hope and life and death is found. It's in Christ alone that we have any confidence, Lord. Help our confidence to be in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.
blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Go in that blessing and be a light to this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 